0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, so um, we've got a few minutes. What I wanted to do is I wanted to have a discussion about something. So here's what I'm going to do, do something I've never done before, which means half the room's not going to be happy and half the room will be happy. Uh, this is the interruption piece, but I want to make, make room for this. You've got two options for discussion for the remaining of our time until we come to the Eucharist. One, we can go deeper in Acts chapter 2 and look at it section by section and see what happened on Pentecost. Remind ourselves, reorient ourselves, maybe learn some things new, maybe remember some things old. So Acts chapter 2 is option 1. Option 2 is Ezekiel. Uh, We can look at this particular text in Ezekiel. That is Ezekiel chapter... Oh, I do know it. I'm not just making this up. Ezekiel 37. And we can look at a particular prophecy about what was going to happen on Pentecost. So we can look at Ezekiel and a prophecy about what was to happen on Pentecost, talk about that. Or we can look at Acts chapter 2 and go deeper in what happened on Pentecost and talk about that. So, at the risk of making half the room mad, which we'll have to come to the table after this, remember. But I want to make the most of our time today. Raise your hand if it's Acts chapter 2. Oh, wow. Raise your hand if it's Ezekiel. All right, Acts chapter 2 it is. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. kidding. I should have known. All right, for those of you who wanted Acts chapter 2, the good news for you on the Notes app are all the points that I would have gone on about what I believe are the five interruptions that took place on Pentecost. There, I'm sure, are more interruptions, but at least five interruptions that what took place on Pentecost. So what, what Sherry now needs to do is scroll through all the Acts texts, keep going, all the way to a blank slide when you get to the Ezekiel text. All right, so here's the context of Ezekiel. Ezekiel has some of the hardest ministry that he could possibly have King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire has succeeded in the second invasion of Judah around 597 BC. The people of God have been given to the, they've given themselves to idolatry and they've given themselves to rebellion. And if you read the Hebrew scriptures slowly, you'll always find that injustice always precedes idolatry. Because when you no longer believe in the God who made all people in your own, in God's own image, you can do with other people whatever you want. You with me? So when you read the Hebrew Scriptures, injustice is always a result of idolatry. Where something else, some other God or some other affection. In Israel at this time, it was nationalism and militarism and power. That's the context. And in all of that, believing that they were the gift of God to the world, that they were the only ones, it led to a kind of pride to where they began to sit on the throne themselves and Yahweh was no longer the king because living in the Torah, living into the Hebrew scriptures, was no longer the call on their life. Expanding their empire was. Holding to the way of life that was comfortable for them. And despite... The hundreds of commands to care for the widow, the immigrant, the poor, and the orphan. Named by Yahweh in the Hebrew Scriptures. Despite all of those commands, they did not care for the widow, the immigrant, the poor, and the orphan. They built social classes. They built protection around affluence. That is the context of Ezekiel. 36 chapters worth before we get to 37. You can read it when you get home. Enjoy that. (laughs) It's a lot. Now, Ezekiel has what I think is one of the most challenging ministries of all the prophets. Now, for those who don't realize, a lot of times prophets would do more than speak. Y'all realize, right? Like prophets were poets. They were statesmen and women. They loved the people of God. They didn't stand in a tower wagging their finger down at people. They loved the people of God, but when speaking didn't work, when poetry didn't work, when allegory and, and rhetoric that was big and hyperbole, all hyperbole, all the, hyperbole not hyperbole, I was going to say hyperbolic, hyper, hyperbole, when all of these literary devices would not work, they would have to go into the mode of dramatization. They would have to become God's actors and actresses. Now, if you don't remember... Do you ever remember a time in Isaiah 20 where Isaiah had to preach naked? Yeah, that was a bum deal. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> no, no pun intended. Thanks for that, bro. That was a, that was a bad rap. That was, that was not good. That's what he had to do. Isaiah had it worse than that. Ezekiel had it worse than that. Here's some of the sign acts. In Ezekiel 4, 4 through 8, he was told to lie on his side for a number of days and then switch to the other side, symbolic of the number of years of exile that Israel and Judah would be in. And later on in that chapter, he was told to cook food over human excrement, symbolizing that in exile, the people will eat unclean food. This isn't in that text. This is in, uh, this is in other texts. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, he had to cut, weigh, bind, and burn his own hair, symbolizing those who would be taken away. He had to, in Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, he had to pack his luggage for exile. And this scene, this scene is actually particularly humorous to me because I could just see the prophet like hauling like a number of bags out saying, let's go to exile, folks. Like, let's go to exile. And he had to walk around carrying around his baggage. In, that, in Ezekiel 24, perhaps one of the hardest things he, I mean, probably one of the most emotional things is God told him not to mourn or weep over his wife's death. Symbolizing that God would not mourn and weep over the destruction of Jerusalem or the temple. Ezekiel's ministry was one of drama. Because words weren't getting God's attention. Torah wasn't getting, God, uh, getting God's people's attention. Words wasn't getting God's people's attention. Drama got, people's, got people of God's Attention, but did it? And so the consequences as if idolatry ran deep. And their self disregard of God and their refusal to do as God wanted them to do, to live as God wanted them to live, left them with the fruit of their own consequences. And I want to be clear with that. In Hebrew scripture study, scholars say that there's a theology of actions and consequences. God had promised and promised and asked and asked and begged and begged that they would just trust him. Then if they did all would be well, but they had to trust him. Which means they had to resist certain kind of impulses of their spirit to commit to certain ways of life that were going to lead them away from God and hurt other people who were less who were more vulnerable among them. And they didn't. Time and time again they didn't. And they made bad political deals. They made bad political decisions. And as a result of bad political deals and bad political decisions, another nation outside of them rose up and destroyed everything that they valued and destroyed the temple itself, which was the center of their life and identity and worship. Does that make sense to y'all? And that is the hopeless narrative of Ezekiel. Y'all have a good day. Now... I want to ask you something. When you read the Hebrew Scriptures and you see Israel, who should we, as people who read the Scriptures through the other side of the cross, interpret Israel to be? Say it. The church. church. So not the nation state. A lot of times in Hebrew Scripture study, really unhealthy theology comes when we start interpreting Israel as America or Israel as Europe or Israel, any nation state. Israel... When we read now through the lens of the cross, when we live back through the cross, we need to see Israel as being the church in terms of how we interpret Scripture. Does that make sense to y'all? And so the prophets then, who did the prophet come to to speak? Then who would the prophets come to to speak to the nation state or to the church? Church first, nation state next. You see that as a motive. You see that as a, as a movement in Scripture with the prophets. They speak first to the people of God, then they speak out to the nations themselves. But they always speak first to the people of God. So the prophet's speaking to the people of God. Trying to get the people of God's attention to be the witness of God. Remember, to be the holy nation that God desired Israel to be. That we are, as the church, the holy nation of God amidst the nations. And so, God's people, how do you think God's people feel now that their temple has been destroyed, the center of their life and worship and identity has been destroyed? Give me some words. How do you think they feel? Hopeless? Desperate, helpless, defeated, how else? Alone, Alone. what? Fearful, angry, Abandoned. abandoned, disoriented. Raise your hand if you felt any of these things. Yeah. Those of you who chose Acts did not feel this way. You're like, I wanted Acts, I'm good. Like, I'm... I'm really, I'm really good. <laughs> so Ezekiel finds himself in this valley. And it's a dark and it's a dusty and it's a dry valley. And he's feeling the weight of all of the abandonment and hopelessness. And frankly, he's feeling the weight of death. Because the biggest word you could probably use to summarize how the people of God felt was that they felt dead. They felt lifeless. And that is where Ezekiel finds himself, in a valley of death, a literal one, a makeshift graveyard, if you will, where everything is dusty and dark and dry. And you might be familiar with this and know where I'm going. It's sometimes referred to as the valley of what? Dry Dry bones. And that's where we are in the text. And so we'll get up here to text on the screen. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. They were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. What kind of reply is that? It's a truthful reply. Any other thoughts on his reply? One of, trust. one of trust? Could it also be just one of resignation? It was like, God, at this point, I don't even know. Your people aren't listening. I've cooked stuff over human excrement. I couldn't mourn the death of my wife. Come on, think about it. This is a person. Had to walk around town carrying luggage around, people looking at me, thinking strange things of me, hard things of me. Nobody listens to things I have to say. You told me to speak and I spoke. They didn't listen. You gave me poetry. I I recited it. They didn't listen. And now you told me to to play this theatrical role among your people and all they did was sneer and jeer. And now I'm hated. By my own people. And now my own people are destroyed. The temple that you asked us to build. That we built where you lived is now gone. Then you ask me if these dry bones can live. I don't know. I don't know. Only you know. I almost wonder if. Ezekiel was a little sarcastic. A little snarky. a A little salty in his response. Because all Ezekiel knows right now is what? Death. And literally for him. In every way. Verse 4. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I'll cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Now, what do we know the word breath? Is another word for what? Ruch. So the Hebrew word is ruch. Everybody say ruch. Yeah, y'all sound gross. It's ruch. But it's that kind of like guttural out of your throat, right? And it literally means breath. That word breath is translated also spirit. So in the Hebrew Scriptures, when you see the Holy Spirit of God, you could literally translate it, what? The holy breath. breath of God. So there's a wink and a nod here to what's happening in Pentecost, right? Now, when you hear the word prophecy, when he says prophesy out of these bones, what comes to your mind? When you hear the word prophecy today, what, does that normally, what do we normally think of? Telling the future? Yeah, a lot of times we think it's telling the future, but in Scripture, there was something called foretelling. Everybody say foretelling. foretelling? Which is talking about what's going to happen in the future. But then there was also forthtelling. Everybody say forthtelling. That's like truth telling. So prophecy is about truth telling too. It's not just about telling of a future. So when Acts chapter 2 says, come on now, when Acts chapter 2 says, your men and women will prophesy, it means your men and women will preach truth, which means your men and women will preach. Just thought I'd remind us of that. Because prophecy is about preaching. That's why I remember Philip's four daughters in the New Testament. Remember him? Remember Philip? He had four daughters. What were they? Does anybody remember? Yeah, just guess it. Prophetesses. Anna was a prophetess. And so he told them to preach truth to these dry bones. You know why sometimes our dry bones won't live? Because we won't preach truth to them. The things that are dry and broken in your life, preach truth to them. You with me? Preach the truth of God's love in the places of fear, preach the truth of God's peace in places of chaos. Look yourself in the mirror and literally say to yourself, I am God's beloved. And God, you were mine. Preach truth to the dry bones of your life. Don't just let them sit and rattle. Because you don't know if they'll grow flesh and tendons again. But who does? So, verse 7. So I prophesied as had been commanded. And while I was prophesying, there was a noise a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Could you imagine how like fearful that was? As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was what? No breath to them. Now I want to ask you, why do you think Ezekiel narrates it this way? Why didn't Ezekiel just say, you think, which is all supposed to, why didn't Ezekiel just say, I preached to them, and they just got up? And like, psh, like why is it that it's narrated so slowly what might we need to see yeah that it takes time and that it's patient and that it's a movement and that a movement unfolds too many times we preach truth through the dry bones of our life and expect a kind of resurrection that we expect and if it doesn't resurrect as we expect then we don't believe it resurrects at all does that make sense but when Elijah preaches to the dry bones, it's a steady move. It's a slow move. It's an unfolding of a move. It's the first to rattle. It's the first to shake. And then it's a coming up together. And then it's a slow putting together. And even still, is there any breath in these bones? Not yet. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Does that text, does that son of man language sound familiar to y'all? Say to it, this is what the Lord God says, Breath, come from the four winds, and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came to life, stood on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are cut off ever felt that way he says therefore prophesy and say to them this is what the Lord God says I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them my people and lead you into the land of Israel you will know that I am Yahweh my people when I open your graves and bring you up from them everybody if you can read it with me I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land Then you will know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. So what do you read in that text? What do you see? You see hope. What else? You see a promise. You see the promise of God. Do you see God giving up on them? That they deserve to be given up on. Yeah, if you read the story, you'd be like, yeah, they deserve to be given up on. But did you see God give up on them? Did you see God actually abandon them? Did everything around them feel abandoned? Did everything around them tell them they're abandoned? But did God abandon them at all? And what did God say? That He do what? That I'll raise you up. That I'll breathe new life into your lungs. I will raise you up And I will give you my what? And the Holy Spirit is the holy what of God? The holy breath of God. And so when we say every Sunday, it seems here lately, that Christ is as close to you as? Why is it then do we sometimes choose or find ourselves living breathless? I recognize that the world wants to take the breath right out of our lungs. The world gut punches us and we are breathless. The world, something happens and we gasp for breath because we lose our breath. But beloved, the truth of Pentecost Sunday is you will not lose the breath of God. Your hurts and your harms, your struggles, your addictions, your horrors may tell you that you can lose the breath of God. Your actions and your past could be so vile that you could seek somehow that you could lose the breath of God. You cannot lose the breath of God. You may be a person that somebody says is not worthy of living into the breath of God. You may be a person who's not included because your skin doesn't look the right color. Your gender isn't the right gender. Your socioeconomic status isn't the right status. Or maybe even what you feel in your brain and your body doesn't align with what everybody else says should it should be. But you know what Pentecost reminds you of? That the Spirit of God is for you too. And that you not only have a place, but you have a purpose of power. And there is nothing that God can't raise to life. There is no bone too dry. There is no heart too broken. There is no mind too stifled. There is no soul too thirsty that God can't raise up for life. And so the thing is, when you preach the truth into these dry bones, you got to ask yourself, which truth are you preaching? Because that's really part of the struggle. Too many times we're preaching our own truth. My truth. That's the language we like to use. My truth. This is my truth. Your truth may not bring the kind of life. Your truth may not align with the truth of God's truth. And that's the life that comes. It's what gives life to who we are. Is the truth of the declarations of God empowered by the Spirit of God. You've got to check yourself and ask which truth am I preaching to the dry bones in my life. So, if you're preaching the truth of, I am what I've done, that's not the truth. If you're preaching to the truth of, I am the sum total of all that I own, that's not the truth. If you preach the truth of, I am what I do, that is not the truth. If you preach the truth that, I am what I feel, come on now. That is not the truth. What is the truth? We are God's beloved. What else is the truth? Come on. The spirit is always with us. What? We are a royal priesthood. What else is the truth? Huh? Yeah, that there's a, (laughs) yes, that there's a God who pursues us. What else is the truth? That he's not going to leave us. God ain't going to pursue us just to leave us. What else is the truth? That we're chosen. What else is the truth? come on, that we are forgiven. What else is the truth? That we've been raised to life. What else is the truth? Come on, that there's always a way back because God's going to meet us on the way. What else is the truth? that God has a purpose for our lives that God is going to see through and that even when things happen to us because of our own choices and because of the rate of sin and death that Romans 8.28 still applies that in all things God can what? Work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. The truth is there are no bones too dry. If you are here God is not even remotely done with you yet. (laughs) And you know what else? You're not going to find the power you need inside yourself. And we are not going to find the power we need to flow from the halls of Capitol Hill. We're not going to find the power we need in the forms of legislation. And things that we long for. Can they help? Of course they can. But we're not going to find the power we need. Where are we going to find the power we need? In the Holy Spirit of God who lives where? Within us and dwells among us, making us what? A new kind of people. A new kind of people where all that has been busted up and called unequal is made what? Equal. And new kind of people where those among us were told they didn't have equity, now have what? Equity. A people who are unafraid to tell the truth of the past because we know what happens when we don't and tell the truth of our present so that we can see more clearly a future, a way forward. We are the people of God and the power to be a witness in the world To a world that is changing. That is our call. Beloved, look. God hasn't asked the church to change the world. You know that, right? I'm serious. I I want to unpack this for a minute and we'll come to the table. God's Holy Spirit is not empowering us to change the world. God's Holy Spirit is empowering us to bear witness to a world that is changing. Do you understand the difference? The world is changing. That's why the Bible uses the language of old age that is passing away and what? New age that is broken in. That there's the kingdom of darkness and the reign of sin and death that is actually at work in the world but passing away and what? The reign of grace that is coming. We're to bear witness to the world that is coming. And as we live our lives, we bring that world into bear. Does that make sense? When we love where there is no love, then we bring love into the world. When we find joy where there is no joy, we bring joy into the world. When we work for peacemaking, for shalom, for wellness, for wholeness, for human flourishing, where there is no human flourishing, we make that world possible. Does that make sense? Because that's the world to come. That's God's preferred future. When we come to the table and everybody is welcome to the table, that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you bring, no matter what you're hiding, that you are welcome to the table. That changes things because our world doesn't like to build bigger tables. That's why Laura has to write a column every month about building a bigger table. But y'all should read the latest one. Because that's the witness. It's about building a bigger table. It's about taking this table into our own kitchens, into our own dining rooms, into our own neighborhoods, into our own school places, into all of our places. And let me ask you something. What do you have to lose for doing it? Come on, Christian. What do you have to lose? Begins with an N, ends with a G, and has a thing in between it. (laughs) So what do you have to lose? Why? Because you have who? Okay, yeah, yeah, God, Jesus, it's Pentecost, you have what? You have who? The Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit's not an it or what, that's why I didn't want to say what. You have who? The Holy Spirit of God. Can you lose the Spirit of God? Do you have the power of God living in you? Do you have the truth of God that is waiting to come out of your life? Then just live that. Because even if the worst thing that came to you, which was death, you know what God's going to do to your dry bones? So raise him to life so you beloved are death proof you beloved have nothing to fear because you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of love because the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit giving life to your body right now that's Romans chapter 8 verses 12 and on and you now cry out to God Abba Father And that is something that was given to you by the grace of the Spirit of God, your baptism, because of what happened on Pentecost. And what the world didn't give, what? The world can't take away. So whatever bones are dry, lean into the Spirit of God. Preach the truth to those bones. And then wait on God to bring those bones to life. You are not alone. You have the Spirit of God. There's nothing that God can't resurrect by the power of God. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.